Genesis 1, look in verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. So today we're going to be talking about light and darkness. Light and darkness. We're reading Genesis, and of course we're talking about God's creation of the physical universe. How God spoke into being and and distinguished light from darkness. But God also continues to use light and darkness throughout the scriptures. And he uses it for the physical, obviously, but he also uses it throughout the scripture to distinguish spiritual light from spiritual darkness. And that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I was thinking about Romans 1 this morning and about how it, it says that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature are clearly manifested through the physical creation. Isn't that something? So that's true, especially with light and darkness. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. This is a verse we're all pretty familiar with, I'm sure. 1 John chapter 1, and in verse 5 it says, This is the message that we have heard of him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is light. God defines what light is. Now, it's interesting that when you read the Bible and you go to Revelation, you see this association between the physical and the spiritual light. Go to Revelation chapter 21. I have been a Christian for years and years before I read these verses. I just, we didn't spend a lot of time reading Revelation, so. And then I read this and I was like, wow, that is amazing. Look in verse 23, Revelation 21, 23. This, uh, what he's talking about here is the future New Jerusalem. And it says in verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Isn't that amazing? And of course we know who the Lamb is, right? That's Jesus. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. How about that? Go to Revelation 22. And look in verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign Forever and ever. How about that? Isn't that just amazing? So in the beginning, God created this physical light and darkness, distinguished the difference, you know, distinguished light from darkness, and then in the end says that he will be our light completely. Isn't that cool? So go to John chapter 1, John 1, and in verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the next Word is he. It's not he. It's the word. What are we talking about? The word. The word was with God in the beginning. Through the word, all things were made. Without the word, nothing was made that has been made. And remember, we just read that in Genesis, right? God 
said, right? That's his word. People want to mystify this and turn the word into a person. That's not what it's talking about here. God speaks creation into being with his word. Look in verse 4. In the word was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. How about that? So God shines in the darkness. God shines in the darkness. You know, in the original creation, the darkness was the fact that there was nothing else. It was dark, right? But the the darkness we're talking about here is the darkness of man's soul. God shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't understand it, didn't comprehend it. There was no comprehension, true comprehension of God. There was no real guidance, no real wisdom from above. Go to uh, Psalm 107, Psalm 107, look in verse 4. It says, Some wandered in the desert and in wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, who he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So this this God of light is also a God of blessing, that God blesses us. It goes on in verse 10. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So we see here this understanding of darkness and light, that as a person draws near to God, he draws near to light. And as he pulls away from God, he dwells in outer darkness. There's a, uh, I'm not sure where it is in the scripture, but it talks about how um, uh, it gives this reference that God is a, a light like a bonfire. And that as men are around that light, they are warmed. And it had a, had a relation to the early morning farmers who would go out to the farms, you know, out to the fields. And they would be around these fires and it would warm them. Uh, but it, it talked about walking by the light of your own fire and how they would take a, a branch or whatever and they, they'd catch it on fire and they would walk out to their respective fields with their fire. But the further they went away from the bonfire out to their fields, what would happen? Their torch would start to go out. And that's how it is with humanity, that as humanity draws near to God, that humanity is enlightened and has the warmth of God and the light of God, right? The direction of God, the presence of God. But as mankind walks away from God with his own light, that that light will progressively go out. And this is the, I I think this is the condition of man. It says that they sat in darkness and in the deepest gloom, Prisoners suffering in iron chains. I think that's pretty descriptive of mankind. A person sits in darkness and in deep gloom for one of two reasons, either ignorance or rebellion. Go to Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah 8, and look in verse 13, Isaiah 8, 13. It says, The Lord Almighty is the one you should regard as holy. 
He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now, I think that's a curious phrase because this isn't the only place it shows up in the scripture. The stone of stumbling and the and the rock of offense. Who else is that referring to? Jesus. That's right. That's right. But the idea isn't a, a difficult one to grasp that God sets his standards up and men trip over those standards, right? That those standards cause him to stumble. They are stumbling at God's commandments. And it says, for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Now, does that mean that God's going out there and ensnaring people? No. What it does mean is God sets the standard. If you walk away from it, you walk into bondage, right? Uh Verse 15, many of them will stumble and they will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. And then this next verse I love, it says, bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. And that's what we're doing right here, isn't it? That we're binding up the testimony and sealing it with the disciples. That means that we are emphasizing these truths for God's disciples. Verse 17, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel for the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritualists who whisper and mutter, should not a, uh, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead? On behalf of the living. What a, what a verse, huh? Why would you consult the dead on behalf of the living? I thought that was pretty amazing. You know, people seeking spiritual or seeking wisdom in spiritualism. You know, there is, uh, this is kind of an aside, but you know, one of the, uh, unspoken realities of this whole Black Lives Matter movement is that there is an undertow of African spiritualism that goes along with it. And if anybody's interested in finding out more about that, I can share some stuff with them. But it's a, a lot of, uh, there's this notion that um, that's being promulgated, that Christianity is part of the colonial patriarchy, part of the problem. We got to dispense with Christianity and, and embrace our roots. Well, what's the roots? It's African spiritualism, and it's making a resurgence in our country. And this shouldn't be shocking to us, everybody. This should be, you know, yeah, I was wondering when that was going to happen, right? Because think about it, behind every, well, not every, I mean, behind a lot of our social movements is a spiritual movement, you know, of Satan's. And we have to pay attention. Verse 20, it says, to the law and to the testimony, right? So when we're talking about life, where do we go? To the scripture, to the scripture. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. How about that? There's a lot of people out there with a lot to say. Some of it's interesting, but really what it comes down to is, unless everything's taken back to the word of God, actually better a better way to say Say it is unless the word of God generates the light, it's all false light. 
Verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become engaged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Mankind gets hungry because of his waywardness and then he starts cursing God. Verse 22, and they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into outer darkness. Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. And this may sound familiar to you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Who is that light? Jesus Christ. And this was speaking about the Gentiles, huh? Go to Psalm 139. Uh, This is one of my favorite Psalms. Look at verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. I don't know about you. I mean, to some people, that must be terrifying. (laughs) To me, it's very comforting. I love it that my life is completely open before God. I can't fool him. I can't hide anything from him. Everything I can say, he already knows I'm going to say it. And everything I do, he knows I'm going to do it. He knows me completely and thoroughly. He knows my motivations, my inclinations, and my biases. He knows them. And nothing is hid from his eyes. You don't have to turn there, but in Job, it says that his eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. There is no dark place, no deep shadow, where the evildoer can hide. God has no need to examine men further that they should come before him uh, for judgment. Isn't that something? Look in verse 5. It says, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I love that. Aren't there times where you're just thinking about God and you're like, whoa. You're like, that is big. That is big. It says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There is just no hiding from God, is there? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Guide and holding fast. I I think that's interesting. How many times has God, you know, you're ready to do something. God said, no, don't do it. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Have you ever felt that way where you're just so out to lunch and God, God could never reach me here. Verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. How about that? I love that. God is able to penetrate our darkness. You know, and, and I think there's a real danger. You know, I've, I hear people say, well, you know, God, God hates darkness. It's repugnant to him. Yeah, God hates darkness. Okay. But God is able to go in and grab us out of darkness. I think about Jesus, you know, he fellowshiped with the publicans and sinners, right? 
He went into where they were and rescued them out. Well, that's what God does for us all the time. You know, it's not him sitting up there saying, I'm sorry, you're dark and I can't deal with you right now. Not until you get yourself cleaned up. God does the cleaning. Go to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. Look in verse 1. It says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise up your voice like a trumpet. This is God talking to Isaiah. And he's saying, proclaim it. Speak it loud. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager. That's an interesting phrase. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Seem eager. You know, I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago. I was teaching on, you know, the hypocrisy. And we were talking about Pharisees who would pray in the marketplace to be seen of men. You know, they seemed eager. And they would disfigure their faces when they were fasting. So they would seem zealous for other other men. And what was said, if you do that, you're going to get your own reward. You're going to get the temporary recognition of men. It says, but it went further and says, you're doing this for God. You do it in secret because God sees you in secret, right? That's how it works. We don't have to seem eager or put on a show for anybody. It's not for them. It's for God. And that's uh, really important. Verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? And who gets to blame? God does always, right? They put on a show for men, and then they blame God when they don't get what they want. It says, why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Isn't that something? Four, chapter or Verse 4, it says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with a wicked fist, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Something's got to change. Isn't that something? And you can apply, you know, we're talking fasting here, but this can be applied to your whole, you know, Christian, you know, faith, right? If your Christianity isn't, you know, you're reading things in the Bible and and you're not seeing it manifested in your life, you might want to reassess your your walk a little bit there. It says, is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for uh, lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice? And untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, right? That you're out there actually walking as Christ walked. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, meaning your own family. Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. 
If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Isn't that great? I love that. So God is light. God is light. And as we grow close to God, we are enlightened by his light. We're like the moon, right? And the sun, the sun is generating the light and the moon is illuminated by the light, right? Well, that's how we are with God. Look in John chapter 9. You think about Jesus Christ and what was the purpose of Jesus Christ's ministry? Well, there were several, but the, the main one was to make known in flesh and blood the invisible God, right? To manifest the invisible God. So look in verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 4. It says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Isn't that awesome? Go to chapter 8, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We we live in a culture that puts a very strong premium on intelligence and the power of the intellect. If only we could unleash the power of the intellect. You ever hear that? People say, you only think with 10% of your brain, if only we can unleash the other 90%. That's a nice thought. God help us. (laughs) You know, I always think back, you know, when I have these conversations, I always think back on World War II and the Germany. I mean, think about that. The Germany after World War I had been stripped of its military, that, uh, that there was no military industrial complex to speak of in Germany. And in a period of 30 years, really, and it was, it was mostly in the, the latter half of that 30 years, they were able to arm and put together a, um, a, a force that almost conquered Russia and the United States or Soviet Union, I should say, in the United States. Um, amazing feat. It was an amazing feat. They were, Forward thinkers, just incredible forward thinkers. So here is man in his scientific mind, unleashed, right? And he's empowered by his ideology. And and what do you have? You have murder on a scale never known before to mankind. So when we look at things through this comparison of light and darkness, it illuminates the entire situation, that man's intellect if not subordinated to God and his goodness and his righteousness, can be a very wicked thing, incredibly wicked. So don't be impressed by how intelligent people are. People want to snicker at the, you know, the poor farmer or the, you know, the truck driver who's sitting in the cab of his truck reading his little old Bible. You know, I'll tell you something, God can work in that truck driver. He can't work in the heart of a prideful, arrogant intellectual, right? Think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a country boy. He wore camel skins and ate locusts and wild honey, and yet he had the Pharisees coming to visit him. Why? Because of the authority he spoke with. 
go to Acts chapter 26. This is uh, Paul being interviewed by King Agrippa. He would, you know, he had been taken prisoner. And Paul is recounting his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. How Jesus had commissioned him to go to the Gentiles, the very people that Paul was in the process of persecuting, which I thought was kind of interesting. And so Paul's explaining this, and he said, the Lord said unto him, he says, quote, now get up and get on your feet. This is uh, 2613. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me, and I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that something? So so the power of God versus the power of Satan. We have it in one verse here. And the power of God is light, and the power of Satan is darkness. And so we look at a world, and there are a lot of ways that you can categorize humanity, but the way that the servant of God has got to see things is light and darkness. We have to see things through this perspective. Too many people get caught up in movements, right? They say, well, that seems good, right? There's good good things to that. And they get caught up in social nonsense, and they need to see things spiritually. Go to John chapter 3, John 3. See, mankind has fallen, and we know mankind has fallen. And as a result, mankind not only is sitting in darkness, he actually has a propensity for darkness, penchant for darkness. Look in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned or judged, but whoever does not believe him in him stands judged already. How about that? Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And this is the verdict. Now listen to this. I always, you know, I think this, I I love these phrases. And this is the verdict, colon. (laughs) So pay attention. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I think that is hugely significant. Remember in, when we were reading earlier in John 1, we said that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not understand it, right? Here, it's saying that the light was shining in the darkness and mankind rejected it. The darkness rejected it, rejected the light. They loved their darkness rather than the light. In other words, it was a deliberate decision. Verse 20, it says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And this is why the name of Jesus is so hated in our culture, absolutely hated. And, you know, the unfortunate thing, as shocking as this might sound, a lot of that hatred exists in the church. How about that? Jesus said um, in John, he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, 
they have no excuse for their sins. He who hates me hates my father as well. That's pretty clear, right? The person who hates Jesus Christ hates his father as well. Some people, you know, they're just ambivalent. Well, I don't know. I think if you break it down, there's a hatred there. And part of being a good witness is putting your finger on that, that hatred. What is that, you know, in your life that you have such a problem with God about? That takes the Spirit of God to show you. Put your finger on it and say, you know, what's that all about? <clears throat> now, of course, some people want to get up and walk away, and I've had that happen. Um, but, you know, it, it's I think about it all the time. When you go through the Gospels and you read about how the Pharisees gnashed on him with their teeth. And they ripped their clothes. And even, you know, in the end, murdered him. Why? Because he exposed their sin. He exposed their darkness. And men love darkness rather than light. Verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, that's it. Now, do we all have darkness in our lives? Yep, we sure do. But the one great thing about this group of people here is that we keep coming back to the light, all of us, right? We're patient and long-suffering with one another's darkness and with our own darkness, but we bring it to God, and God does his work, huh? Beautiful. Isaiah 5. We're all familiar with this verse, but... I thought it was important. Isaiah 5, look at verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And this goes on every day, every day, that that darkness is represented as light, and light is represented as darkness. And, you know, mankind is a social animal, isn't he? We want to, you know, kind of fit in. And a lot, a lot of times it's subconscious, you know. We just we kind of go with the herd. And we find ourselves thinking and believing things that are just not right. They're wrong. And that's why we have to keep the Bible open in front of us on a regular basis, that the Bible is able to, you know, let you know that this thing that you are taking for granted is wrong. It's wrong. Go to Matthew chapter 5. And just as the, the world reacted against Jesus, the world will react against the Christian because the Christian is bearing light. If men love darkness rather than light, then they're going to respond to you. So that's just the way it works. Verse 11. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We come from a long line of persecuted, you know, truth speakers. So be glad. Be glad. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand 
and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There was a quote I came across. I thought this was really good. Good. Um, it says, we are told to let our light uh, shine, and if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. Isn't that awesome? That was Moody who said that, D.W. Moody. So you don't have to draw attention like the hypocrites do. Look at I did another good thing. Look at me, right? I'm awesome. You just do your stuff, and God sees it. God sees it. Go to First John chapter 1. It's important that we keep in mind, though, that, you know, we're not a entitled group of people. I mean, in one sense we are. We're children of God. We're going to heaven. All hell can't stop us. That's pretty entitled. But it doesn't entitle you to walk in darkness. And I've seen this, and I, I think many of us have, that somehow because we've been initiated into this certain group, that somehow the rules don't necessarily apply to me anymore. I don't have to be faithful to my wife. I can mess around or whatever. And that's not how it works, folks. Judgment starts in the house of God. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, or he is light, we have fellowship one with the other, with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Isn't that something? So we're pretty realistic about this thing. I'm saved, but I am certainly not perfect. And I'm saved, but I'm certainly not sinless. And, uh, you know, I've heard people say, you know, when the devil wants to come along and accuse you of something and he's right, you know, embrace it. Say, you're absolutely correct. I did that. But thank God for Jesus who shed his blood for my sin. Right. And that's the answer to it. I'm not righteous because of my perfection or my sinlessness. I'm righteous because Jesus made me righteous. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It gives me room to grow. Now, I don't have a flippancy when it comes to sin. I take sin very seriously. But I also recognize that when I do blow it, I can get forgiven and I can get restored and I can move on with my life. To the self-righteous person, to admit that you have sinned means that you are fallen from grace never to be redeemed again. That's not how it works. My righteousness isn't my own. It's Christ's righteousness that I have. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, look in First John 2. Look in verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the darkness hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. I think that's huge. In Romans, it says, love worketh no ill towards his neighbor. There's nothing in you to cause your neighbor to stumble because you are walking in the light. It says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. 
He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And this is really important for us to recognize. You know, I, I hear a lot of hate these days. I hear a lot of hate. There was a, a quote here by Martin Luther King. It says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Isn't that beautiful? That's the big deal. And so we're going to finish up here in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 and look in verse 6. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is a light that makes everything visible. See that? This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Wake up, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. They're dark. So I think that's important for us to keep in our minds. I I think one of the great uh, deceptions of Satan is false light, false light, that we see things, they look good, but they aren't. And, you know, in this fellowship, especially, I think this is important. We should see ourselves as disciples, that we are learning not to take things at face value, that we think deeper. It's important that we go deeper And we don't just accept what the world tells us. So anyway, that's what I wanted to share. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that word. And Father, we thank you for just attentive hearts. Father, bless all our mothers today for Mother's Day. And thank you, Father, for just all they do for our families. I thank you, Father, for just blessing this fellowship, enriching and and just uh, invigorating this fellowship. That, Father, we can, we're like that stone in that mill pond that, Father, it sends out reverberations that go throughout the world. And we may be small, but we're mighty. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you, Father, that um, that you are able to do just incredibly great things with a believing heart. So thank you for that. In your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
can see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I can see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Oh, that is who you are.